Welcome to The Other Storyteller, the podcast sparking conversation in the arts and media world. I'm Maria, a filmmaker, entrepreneur, and curious artist from Colombia, living in the UK and Canada. The world is full of stories of cultures, places, and people, and I want to meet the most inspiring artists and storytellers from across cultures to uncover the stories that become art. Hello and welcome to another installment of this podcast. Today's guest is such a cool person. He was one of the most fundamental people. When I first started working in the film industry, I was in the camera department and he was so helpful in teaching me everything, but also a person that is extremely cool, very informed. He loves topics about culture. His films are really, really interesting. And I would love for you guys to meet him. He has lived around the world. Please say hi to Andy Hobson. Hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me, Maria. So, Andy, tell me a little bit about your bringing and how did you end up being a filmmaker? You were all over the world. So, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, that dates back to um, Central America, I guess, in the 80s, uh, where I was. Um, raised i was born in ecuador uh, and raised in nicaragua mainly uh, my stepfather who's canadian then met my mother and we have then moved to uh, the middle east and turkey saudi arabia uh, bahrain qatar united emirates um, you know you you name it i had been around the globe um, and shortly after finishing school in the middle east uh, since my stepdad is canadian um, i decided to come to canada and uh, Vancouver was <laughs> the warmest place in Canada. <laughs> yeah. So decided to, uh, to, to come to Vancouver and migrated to Vancouver, which then realizing um, that it was the, uh, the film hub, sort of the uh, North Hollywood um, to the film industry. Um, and me not realizing that I was really into film uh, until I uh, had uh, visited a career counselor and uh, he helped me kind of guide my path to the arts of film, where I had joined uh, the film program at Capilano um, um, University. Uh, at the time, it was a college. Um, so prior to that, I had um, played in a lot of bands. And I remember having my parents' little like mini cam, DV cam, whatever those little cameras were in the 90s. Uh, and I was just shooting small, tiny little music videos they didn't even know what I was doing uh, as well as I was a skater so I would always love to just hold the camera and like follow my friends skating or jumping off stairs or doing handrails so in a way I, I unknowingly kind of knew that I, I wanted to hold the camera and that that I liked that um, my upbringing you know it wasn't uh, surrounded by Hollywood movies or specifically movies at all you know growing up in central america uh, there was hardly tvs in the 80s you know it's i remember one of the shops uh in my uh neighborhood had a tv and that's where everybody kind of congregated to go watch the football game or the baseball game um so yeah film wasn't really in my vocabulary uh until i started going to film school and then the first year I did general film, second year I did cinematography and, and out of nowhere, I guess I, I sprung a new leaf and I, I found a passion that I, that I never knew I had. That is actually 
the first time I hear from someone in the film industry that's super successful that wasn't so sure about wanting to work in film specifically until later on in life. Um, and it's, you know, it's actually fascinating because you have so much talent and you really are like a, both a storyteller, but also the way you see things and in your framing is so beautiful. Um, and it's honestly quite impressive that you didn't know these like from your whole life, that you didn't realize your whole life that you had like that quality to you. Yeah. The okay. hidden talents. Sorry? The hidden talents. The hidden talents, you know, and, and sometimes it's so beautiful when we allow, you know, the universe or ourselves to surprise ourselves with things that we didn't know that we liked or knew, or even in film, I'll, I'll send something in there quite funny. You know, I was in, um, in camera departments. I really loved it. Um, first, I wanted to be a director. And then I realized that, um, you know, I love how things look like. So I really went into cinematography and was really into it. But then I realized that I'm like a very organized person. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, it's a skill, you know, being really organized, methodic and like everything, like being able to take a script and like make everything fall into like a spreadsheet it's a skill and I ended up working more so in production later on in life um, and you know had never any idea that I was going to be a producer at all and I used to say to my dad like the only job I don't want to do is a producer because they're the ones that limit all the creative input from people but oh, you need a creative producer then <laughs> yeah you have to be a, a creative producer and an ally definitely yeah um because at the end of the day it's like film yes of course it has to make sense monetarily when you are making a million dollar movie because otherwise nobody's going to invest in the next movie um but it also matters that it that it has a message that it has a purpose right absolutely yeah how do you choose the, the films that you're going to work in for example uh, I think in my earlier career, I was kind of just picking up projects to to practice and to learn and to be on set more. Uh, lately, I've been definitely more selective. I think films that resonate with me, specifically dramas and thrillers, uh, are kind of up my alley. I'm getting a little bit more into sci-fi uh, because here in Canada, in Vancouver specifically, it's sci-fi heavy. But yeah, mainly I, I do like some darker dramas and some darker thrillers is kind of what I go for. And uh, specifically more now, you know, I pick my films towards like, what is the end goal for the film? You know, like, where do you want the film to be seen? Where do you want it to go? You know, whether it's some film festivals, whether it's a VOD platform, um, you know, whether it's any platform online. For me, I think it's very specific, like where the filmmaker or where my own films want to end up, because I like to work backwards, like, okay, well, this are the film festivals that I'm targeting, so let's work backwards from there. So that's kind of the way I'm, I'm picking films lately, just very strategic of what is the end goal for the film? What are we trying to do? So we're just not making another film. So we have an end goal, we have a target of what we're going for. 
Can you give the viewers a little bit of context about how, for example, if you are going to make a video or a film for a platform versus for a festival, what are the differences? What are some of the things that you will be looking into? Uh, well, it depends. I think, you know, if you're going to make a film for a specific festival, so you have to research the festival, see what kind of content they like to uh, program into their into their festival. I think that's uh, very important that you go watch previous films uh, over the last few years that they've made, you know, if you want to cater to that specific festival, but also still make it your own story. I don't mean you need to go and copy uh, anybody else's story in the festival. Um, but if you, so that's sort of the festival way. If you're looking to just go straight to distributors, it's like, okay, let's study the market of like, what are they looking for? And I think more, you know, along the lines, I'm starting to realize that like thrillers and horrors are movies that are a little bit easier to sell, you know, a drama, you may need some pretty big names in there to, 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 to sell or a comedy, uh, specifically comedy, cause it's pretty, it's harder to sell comedy, but um, I think, yeah, it's just really kind of studying the market or maybe the distributor you want to go for, you know, maybe go online and see the last couple of films they've distributed or their IMDb. So it's just kind of doing your, your, uh, your market research. Yeah. And I think that that is such an important piece of insight for maybe the people that are just starting in the film industry or the people that are more so on the crew side and don't, have yet an overview of the strategic uh, decision-making in what stories people want to put out there and, and where they want to stream them or where their end goal is, right? Because it's not at the end the same to make a film for Netflix than it is to send to a festival necessarily. Although, you know, they can still uh, be cross-platform, but um, at the end of the day, you know, you realize that there's certain content types and certain topics that certain festivals, for example, are more interested in. Um, I do remember, I don't know if that's the case still, but there's certain technical things that are necessary. So whether your video has to be 4K, 5K for specific platforms, which is not necessarily the same for an MOW or movie of the week. Um, and definitely if it's going just for festival runs, it doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah, and I will say, you know, definitely the deliverables is, is a big one. But also I will say, still make your film, still make the film you want to make, because I think mm -hmm. that's the most important thing. Like you can study the market all you want. And, you know, again, I don't go back to copying someone else's film, but you know, still make the film that you want to make because that's going to be the most powerful thing, even if it doesn't get into festivals, even if you don't sell it, you know, at the end of the day, it's your art. And if, you know, like I say to, to my mom these days, I'm like, mom, did you like my film? She's like, I loved it. I'm like, great. Then I'm happy. Yeah, That's all I need. I don't need thousands of people to be like, oh, your film is great. As long as my parents think my films are good, I die happy, you know, so, so yeah. still film you want to make also too like you never know you could get into a festival and there is a market at the festival with buyers and there maybe your your movie does well in the festivals and then it gets sold through the festival so a lot of different avenues but at the end of the day study the market but do make the film that you want to make because that's the most important thing yeah and at the end of the day is that authenticity in the narrative and in the storytelling of a filmmaker 
that world or um yeah i would say that it's like a perspective you know that not necessarily everyone shares or that is slightly different and that sometimes it's very similar to what the audiences are are experiencing or certain people in the, those audiences and if you don't make a film that you know that embodies that um you will lose that connection factor or wow factor for your audience to see the world through your eyes right um Absolutely. so with that in mind um i want to talk a little bit about mulatto and el color negro your two films and how they are your vision what you're trying to express through them so just to contextualize and i'm gonna let you guys know um where you can find these uh in the comments here what these these two films basically have a narrative a poetry in the back almost like portraits i want to say is that how you would describe it? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like almost like portraits. Um, and then in the second one, you see someone digging. Uh, and I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. So could you walk me a little bit through what you were thinking about, where that inspiration comes from, and where that explorative um, filmmaking comes from? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, it was during the height of the pandemic. Uh, so, you know, the George Floyd incident uh, was a huge impact on me. I myself, I'm Afro-Latino, um, you know, so I do have Black Latino descendants uh, as well as uh, Latino descendants. So I thought it was really important for me to do something where it just wasn't uh, putting another piece of uh, news article up on my socials or putting the black box. Um, you know, I never consider myself a director. I'm a cinematographer producer through and through. But I figured, what is the best way to sort of get uh, my voice out? And that's where I started researching what the color black meant. Uh, because I personally, myself, never really dug deep into my own roots. Um, and when I started researching it, I, it took me back to ancient times. And I found these connotations of the color black where I started kind of picking together words or sentences that I was reading and just throwing them all onto a page. Um, and I wanted to align that with the Roaring Twenties um, where I feel to me personally in the Roaring Twenties, black people and people of color, um, you know, they were able to be a little bit more artistic. There was more black musicians, more black art, you know, they own speakeasies, uh, black actors. So these kind of uh, culture revolutions started um, exploding. So I wanted to utilize some of that look, the roaring 1920s, which you can tell in the film with the backdrop, with the wardrobe, um, as well as some of the set pieces that I had in there. Um, and working together with another filmmaker, um, uh, Rakia Bernard, and as well as my my dad, uh, who's a 30-year linguistics, we were able to piece together the script through sort of all this information that I've gathered. And I wanted it to, the narrative, the narrator to sound like Malcolm X was given a speech or yeah. a speech that would have been given, you know, in an amphitheater um, during the 1960s or 70s. 
Um, so that's kind of how El Color Negro came about. Um, I utilized all of my CERB money uh, that we got from the Canadian government, even though I had no idea where the world was going, but I used that money to make the short film. And I think that really, that really set a tone for what I'm able to do, because I, again, I don't consider myself a director. For me, it's just an art piece and I don't want to be seen as, as a director, as an artist would say. But, you know, I think putting that piece together gave me sort of some found new light. You know, I, I always think like, is this it for me in the film industry? But <laughs> every year there is something new and I, I knew... I didn't know that I had the ability to direct these sort of films, but that stems from my last 20 years in the film industry. Um, so that would be El Color uh, Negro. Uh, for El Mulatto, uh, because I made a Color Negro <laughs> with money that I should have saved, <laughs> um, yeah. I was able to win a grant uh, for El Mulatto um, by showing El Color Negro. And El Mulatto was kind of going back to um because again i'm afro latino what a mixed um race boy would have felt like in slavery times uh in times where you know the white master was abusing the black slave women and then they would have children but the mixed child would not be considered white so he mm -hmm. would be thrown back into slavery and he would be considered black so through um, working with a poet, um, I was able to uh, kind of give him the free range of, of what my vision was for the poetry uh, and have and work uh, in tandem with him back and forth uh, to come up with the piece that we came up with. You know, I, I will say this, uh, it, it is going into some film festivals, but I do feel the piece is very hard hitting. Uh, and there is um, language in there that might be disturbing for some, but I think that's the most important thing that we're being spoon fed, you know, a lot of um, uh, cereal is like what I like to call it, you know, nothing with any nutrients, you know, we're not being given salads. So I, I find when I have a piece that's, sort of really powerful in the language um it may affect some people in a certain way but it will touch that one person that might have been like wow this is incredible and this resonates with me um so that's El Mulatto and uh, it's sort of that's kind of how it came about uh, I love to shoot all my personal films this last two that I've made uh on film, so I shot uh, El Color Negro on 16 mil and El Mulatto on 35 mil. I think it brings sort of the aesthetics out of what I was trying to do and it gives it that really hard feel and that older feel um, to the films. Uh, and then I have one more that I would love to put together as a trilogy. Um, I don't know what it is yet. I love for ideas just to kind of land on my lap. I don't go searching for ideas. I don't sit for hours and think of what I'm trying to do. I think that's counterproductive for me personally, other people work like that. But for me, I love to be going about my day or I love to be on set or I love to be meditating, playing drums, exercising, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, bam, there it is. And that's where I 
get my draw my inspiration from so i think it's kind of backwards like the less i think about it the more ideas i get so you know one thing that you are talking about i guess is cathartic filmmaking right it's like almost like um, being able to utilize film to process certain things certain thoughts that you are um, having at the moment or what you were saying like what would a kid that was a mulatto in slavery what would they feel like what would they be thinking and and I think that those are things that we often don't want to think about realistically like we know for example there's today there's modern slavery but we try to put that aside and I think that sometimes conversation can be like oh you know what that was deeply disturbing why was it disturbing you know and and you're not doing something that's disturbing for consumption for um in an exploitative way right you're doing something that is more like explorative of maybe part of your own identity and the identities of many people that have been lost that you know we don't have in in history books or we don't have interviews necessarily of kids that were in slavery um back in the day right so you know i i really think that that is super super powerful that this is the kind of filmmaking that i would love to see more out there and you know at the end of the day is what you were saying sometimes film is made more for like video on demand and platforms yeah. but sometimes making a film that goes to festivals that makes a different type of rounds still can be made because there's government funds there are ways in which you can invest money into your own filmmaking maybe even with controlled expenses you know um but make something that is really of value because we sometimes get a little bit lost in the business side of it too um so it's a balance right yeah and it, it is too because again like i mentioned I do cinematography and produce. So those are kind of like very artistic to the not very artistic, but I do find that they go hand in hand, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you want to know a lot of the logistics, you get into the producing, which then helps your cinematography and vice versa. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's important to kind of have the your hands in the cookie jar and you know being able to pick several cookies that you're good at so when you make a film at a time like the george floyd incident you are doing something you didn't want to just contribute another black box what what did it feel like to you to put a piece out there that was kind of your take on that situation Well, you know, being an artist is tough because you kind of think of what are people going to think of my film, you know, and I always try to go back to it doesn't matter. It's my film and this is what I wanted to portray. But I think it was such a needed piece for the time and it's sort of a timeless piece because it will just anybody from now on uh, if they do catch it online or on my socials whatnot it's a timeless piece and I think that's what I was trying to kind of do something that you could watch over and over again and get that information and you know there is I think you need to watch it several times to kind of really um, you know listen to what's being said 
uh, the visuals are just kind of carrying you. But for my films, it's all audio, if that's why I kind of go with the poetry style, because again, it's the visuals can carry you, but I really want you to listen to what's being said. Um, yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful perspective. And at the end of the day, I think that it contributes to to conversation, to start a conversation about, you know, the interpretation and, and sometimes what it's important for us to tell the world, maybe it might not be received in the way that we put it out there, but at least it started a conversation and um, it gave someone something to think about or, you know, it put something in people's radars, right? Um, which I think is really beautiful. So do you, I know that you have worked on a lot of um, First Nations films as well in in Canada. And I love, you know, I love how there's like so many great, great artists that I am seeing in a way network together and make all of these films that um, in a way explore different perspectives. How did you get into also coming into other cultures and contributing to to tell their stories? Uh, well, I think that's kind of stems through my background, just growing up in uh, various countries and various cultures. Like I'm very easygoing. I'm very outgoing. I have no problem, you know, being in different cultures and different settings, uh, chatting with different people. Um, I think that's kind of what my upbringing helped me um, be a little bit more open. So I took the opportunity um, to shoot an indigenous feature film, I believe back in 2016 or something. I can't remember exactly when. Um, and I didn't really know much about the indigenous community uh, at all um, as an immigrant coming to Canada. Um, but I, once I started, you know, um, shooting the film and, and really um, collaborating um, with the indigenous filmmakers, I started to realize how much they were like my own culture, like Latinos, and how we are in the same struggles. Um, and, you know, I visited um, some really nice res uh, reservations, but I've also visited reservations that felt like I was, you know, back in Ecuador, Nicaragua, in a, in a small barrio, um, you know, with no running water and with no electricity. And so to me, I, I became very compassionate to that and, and I wanted to help. Um, tell more indigenous stories. And as I kept working uh, with indigenous uh, communities, I kept getting more inspired to help, even though it's not my story to tell, just visually through my cinematography, I wanted to amplify their voices. Um, there, I uh, within that uh, film that I did, I met my my production partners now, Jesse Anthony, who's from the uh, Onondaga Nation of uh, Six Nations in in Grand in, in Ontario, um, and there from there we went on and made a couple of other features and some short films. So again, it's going back to I look at how culturally I'm fitted and how 
well I integrate with the indigenous community as well as how they integrate with me. Um, and I don't think it's for everybody. I don't think, you know, just any regular person can go integrate themselves with indigenous communities. I think you have to be really open, um, be really mindful and, and generous and thoughtful of what stories you're trying to tell. Yeah. Because there's, there's a lot of hardship there. And as you know, there's a lot of hardship with our countries as well. So yeah. Absolutely. I think that it's uh, striking that balance between, um, you know, being caring and helping and helping the, their stories get out there, but not being exploitative. You know, I think that mm -hmm. is one of the, the key things that um, I like to think about. Um, obviously, it's like if it's a story, it's a story and, and people have the right to tell it. But how do you become an ally and know a person that is um, exploiting a culture is it's quite important and uh, Jesse actually we worked together in that first film that you and I worked together so um, <laughs> it's just you know everything's interconnected in a way but um, yeah. you know it's fantastic how like you see so many great people that are out there that are like hustling that are trying to tell their stories and I love how I think that our narrative in Spanish-speaking countries, and I imagine in many other countries, and I'm finding this more and more in the First Nations um, storytelling as well, is that we are not very like linear thinkers. Um, <laughs> we don't necessarily say things concisely. We don't necessarily just get to a point. It's more about exploring the emotion and, and what's going on inside someone is what you're actually telling through the story. Um, and I think that it's a beautiful fit for yourself to, to work in those films. All right. So we'll see. Maybe something comes out of these questions. Um, they're a little bit interesting. Um, but the first one is kind of what advice you would give yourself when you were starting in film or at some stage in your film career? Wow. Um, I think I realized this one a few years back and the biggest advice I would give my younger self is not to compare my work, my lighting, my films to anybody else's. I think, who I'd say for even the first eight to 10 years of my career, I compared myself a lot to others or, you know, why did this person's film get into the festival and mine didn't? how come this one sold as much and this movie didn't sell as much as mine? Or is this person's lighting better than mine? You know, you get all these thoughts in your head that you got to work through. But I think that's, again, the artistic process of finding ourselves within our own art and our own space and stay in our own lane. That uh, definitely that would be the biggest advice uh, that I'd give my younger self. But I'm yeah. past that, now, which is great. <laughs> I learned. Yeah. You know, that's actually, I didn't expect that, actually. Um, but I think it's super true. Like, you know, in many things in life, it's about not comparing yourself because, you know, sometimes it's not about the film that has the most beautiful cinematography, but it's the film that resonated the most with even the jury. Or, or stories that are very important at the time that need to be told and that there is a timely need for them to be heard at that point in time. Um, just a lot of different perspectives that we can't 
fully understand ourselves um, at any point in time. So it's good to just let it go. And and I, I will take note because I definitely still do a lot of comparing myself with people. And Well, it's uh, social media doesn't help. <laughs> doesn't help, definitely. And and everything is just so connected. Even, even like, you know, before you wouldn't even realize what's on the other side of the pond. And now you're like exposed all the time to points of comparison. Yeah, exactly. All right. So now just tell me one piece of artwork. It can be music. It can be film. It can be a painting, literature, anything at all that you're like, hmm, I would love to share this with people right now and tell me why. Well, I would say the most recent um, was very inspiring to me for a film that I just finished producing and shooting is a Polish movie called Ida. I would love to share that um, specifically for, I looked at the references of four by three framing because uh, that's what we shot the movie in, um, this recent movie. And the way they use 4 by 3 framing is incredible. I don't want to give it away. Watch the movie Ida. I've watched it about 10 times over the last few months. Um, but that would be, I think, the most inspirational thing so far for me in terms that that helped me with the project. That's super interesting. I've never watched this film, so I'm going to definitely go and look into that. Polish films, definitely up my alley. Um, but I am very interested about this framing that you're talking about, because I feel like it's going to be something very unexpected. And it's, uh, yeah, it's it's very well done, the way they framed that film. And the lighting as well. Uh, the story is incredible, but to me, it was just the referencing of, how can you stick your character in this four by three box? Mm -hmm. And that's the most interesting thing to me. And they did uh, a phenomenal job with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I am uh, very, very interested from what you're telling me. Now, if you were to look at art from either a topic or a country, one month, really quickly, you're curious, you want to dive deep into it. Uh, recently, and again, it just stems back for films. I really want to look at culturally Nicaragua. I think for me, Nicaragua is a country that hasn't been really put on the map um, culturally. Um, I wanted to make a film in Nicaragua several years ago, but unfortunately I had to take it to El Salvador just because the infrastructure in Nicaragua wasn't really there. But I'm heading back to Nicaragua in December for these specific reasons. So I definitely want to, uh, I think my, that's where my dad is from. And, and I lived there for several years. And I feel like I need to re-immerse myself in the culture and, and sort of get uh, to reopen my eyes and ears to where I was born. So I would definitely, culturally wise, art wise, movie wise, music wise, I resonate with Nicaragua. And soon there will be a film from there. Can't tell you yet, but working on it. Is this part of that trilogy or? No, it's a, it's a different, it's a different thing, but it's more Very personal, 
close to me. It, it's it's about the revolution. So if you yes. know anything about the revolution in Nicaragua, then. No, I don't too much. Yeah. I guess that is the end of our conversation. If there's anything that you really want to share, don't be afraid to share it. But um, thank you so much for opening up about all of these different topics that are realistically very personal um, and that you know they can really resonate with our audience or spark curiosity in our audience to start looking at either film or cultures um, that they maybe have not looked into yet. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you, you so for much. having me. This was, uh, this was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Andy.